Genesis 27:36 And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCreary. And I'm Brian Bales. And we want to talk with you about the Bible. Specifically, we want to discuss Genesis chapter 27 today. And uh, Walking Through the Book, is uh, the podcast, is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. And we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. Uh, we believe that Bible reading is a, an important thing about our lives, and if we expect to be pleasing to God, we, we ought to want to know more about Him. And that's why we're doing this podcast. We thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. We hope that it is well spent. And, uh, uh, you know, Brian, we actually haven't had a podcast released in, in quite a while. Um, yeah, what, I'm not quite three sure weeks? when. Yeah. Longer than uh, that. At the very least, uh, and uh, we 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 want to apologize for that. Um, yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, that we keep in mind. Well, first of all, let's can can we understand, you, Brian? You want to explain why we didn't have a podcast last week? Yes. So uh, the way that we record this, it's recorded on a program that then has to be converted to MP3. And what I do is, as soon as I convert the file, the audio file on my end to MP3, I just delete the other file, you know, because I mean, don't need that, right? Well, I accidentally deleted the MP3 after I deleted the other file, and we were left without any audio recording from from my end. So, so yeah, we, we lost our Genesis 27 reading, which was really exciting, actually. So we're uh, going to try to <laughs> redo it as naturally as possible. <laughs> But, but this yeah. is this is Genesis twenty seven take two right yeah take two um, yep <laughs> but you know uh, and and the reason we do that by the way we record locally just so that I mean anyone that uses Skype or any kind of video chat you know there's going to be like slowdowns from time to time and uh, sometimes it kind of slows down like this and so we really want exactly the audio quality of the podcast to be as good as possible I'm sorry. I was saying that's exactly how it sounds. You did that perfectly. <laughs> it was a simulation, <laughs> yeah. but uh, <laughs> but in, in in so Bryant uh, Bryant lost the file there, but that's okay. You know, we could have released Genesis twenty seven with just my recording, <laughs> and it would have been a very interesting would podcast. It would have been me like saying something and saying some things, and then long silences. So. Yeah. Maybe we'll try that someday. It'll be like experimental. It'll be like, you know, the the listener will fill in the gaps of the podcast. It's like uh, the viewer gets to participate. Yeah, viewer participation. That, you know, all great art involves the the listener, the, 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 
take her into that art. You okay. Just have to make sure really... after the after the pauses, make sure you compliment the other person. Yeah, very good, very good. Appreciate that input. <laughs> it's kind of like a kids' show, right? When right, they, right. you know, they're like, "Can you tell me how many red bricks are in, over here?" <laughs> they just pause. <laughs> That's right. There's three. <laughs> And I'm watching that with my son, and I'm just like, no, I, I told you that there were four. You didn't listen to me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but no, seriously, um, I, I do want to take this opportunity to say something about our priorities concerning this podcast, because there was a period, I guess, Bryant, I mean, I guess it was almost a year before we started doing this podcast that we mm-hmm. we were talking about doing something like that. Right, yeah. And and I think that was good to take that time and just sort of prep with that mentally. And because I think by the time we started, we kind of had a good idea of what we were going to do and right. how we were going to do it. But one thing we always, I think, said from the beginning of talking about it was that we want to make sure that the priority toward our local work is is really there. Um, I don't want to get onto this podcast and spend time recording this. When in reality, I need to be spending time, you know, working with the brethren or doing more evangelism and things like that. And one aspect of that, too, is that, you know, Bryant and I have been pretty busy lately, too. Right. Uh, so it, it's been hard to get together a time to do that. But, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing because, again, what I've what I've uh, let the audience know at least two or three times in the course of this podcast, too, uh, this podcast is not our income. Um, in fact, we don't want any income from this podcast. Uh, we want this to just be something that we're putting out there uh, for reference, for, for help for others. And, uh, you know, we're individually supported by our local congregations. When I say we, I mean, you know, Bryant and I. Bryant is supported by the church at uh, uh, Garden City and uh, uh, Garden City Church of Christ, excuse me. And I'm supported by the North Columbus Church of Christ. And and that's our support. That's what we need to live, right? And so this isn't an income-creating opportunity. This is just something that we like to do and, and want to do uh, because it's helpful for us and maybe it's helpful for someone else. But you know, we just want to make sure everybody knows about that aspect of the priorities toward our local work. So if you open up your podcast uh, app or however you listen to it and you find out that there's no new walking through the book on Monday or Wednesday or Friday. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I wish we could do it, you know, in, in that way consistently. And we'll try to do that more often. Right. You know, we'll try to get back on track with those things. But, uh, but just know that, you know, when we're not putting that out there immediately, just know that we're not just doing nothing, that we do have other things that we might need to take care of, uh, as well. Yeah, and even when even when we're not able to, I mean we're still trying to make it happen even when it doesn't work out, you know, mm-hmm. we're trying to figure out a time and trying to see if we can make it work and and usually usually we're well, not sure usually every time it's not at the lack of trying, you know, so really it's mm. it's really when there's just no possibility for us to be able to to fit it in unfortunately. So so yeah, we definitely love doing this podcast and we do try to make, make, make time to make sure we can get it, get it done together because it really is so enriching and enjoyable and encouraging. So, 
So yeah, the, the, the lack of the podcast being up certainly is not a lack of interest on either of our parts. Uh, cause we, we, we certainly look forward to, to doing this and, uh, hearing from, hearing from you who are listening as well, whenever you have feedback. So appreciate your patience with us and all of that. And on that note, um, we had an email recently and, and we're always so thankful for, for the feedback that we get. Um, we want to follow up on something we said in the last program about Abimelech. Um, Elizabeth emailed us and mentioned the possibility that the Abimelech of Genesis 20 and the Abimelech of Genesis 26 may not be the same, meaning the Abimelech that Abraham dealt with may not have been the same Abimelech that Isaac dealt with. And I made a, uh, some sort of statement last time where I kind of said, well, you know, how ridiculous is it for Isaac to be doing the same thing that Abraham did to the same guy? And the reaction is odd if it's the same guy too. And so she brought up the possibility that Abimelech uh, might be a royal title similar to Pharaoh or Herod. And I looked at all that up and just kind of looked into it a little bit more. And she's right. Um, the term Abimelech, uh, Ab or Abi could mean father. And Melech is Hebrew for king. And so, uh, you know, that that term itself could just simply be uh, a royal title. And so you, you do have that possibility there. So thank you so much, Elizabeth, for, for your input. Um, if, if you want to be uh, part of what we're doing on this program, too, keep in mind how to contact us. Um, you can reach us on Facebook. If you search for at walking through the book, you can find us on Facebook. Uh, you can also email us at walking through the book at protonmail.com or, uh, take a, uh, check out our website, North Columbus Christians.com. It's not our website, but it's the website. The podcast is typically hosted on, uh, it's the podcast of the, uh, the, uh, congregation that I work with the North Columbus church of Christ, which, by the way, we're in Columbus, Mississippi. I'd be happy if uh, you'd ever like to visit with us and uh, check out the website for more info on that. Bryant, if you don't have anything else on that, you want to go over the flow of the program and let everybody know how they can get in touch with you? Yeah, so uh, you can find the congregation that, I, uh, uh, that I'm a part of on Facebook, uh, the Garden City Church of Christ. And I think our website is gardencitycoc.org. Uh, and we'd love to uh, uh, see you if you're ever vacationing in Savannah. Uh, it's a beautiful area with a lot to see and a lot to do. Um, and the flow of the program, uh, we try to keep a, a pretty consistent flow with, with how we handle our, our reading. Um, but it's really just a very simple approach. Uh, so we just read the text over, uh, for just doing one chapter, we'll just, uh, read the whole chapter all together. And after doing the reading, we'll just kind of make some general observations, usually some things that, um, maybe came to mind, uh, you know, even just during the reading that maybe we hadn't noticed before. And after that, we try to maybe connect some themes together of how the events, uh, kind of fit into the bigger narrative of the story of what God was doing through history uh, and maybe more even specifically in Jesus. And sometimes those connections are just really amazing to kind of work out conversationally. And we always try to end with with some application. Um, and sometimes I think some of the applications that we get from these narratives are some of the most powerful 
because they're so strongly illustrated. And so sometimes you think reading Genesis, I mean, what, what application can you get out of, you know, reading about Abraham and Isaac and, you know, what relevance could that have? But I think actually what we consistently find is, you know, because these things are actually connected to the person of God, that there's always relevance in application that we can make from these things if we're thinking about these things in the right way. Um, so that's what we'll be doing today. And uh, that's how we'll be continuing to try to try to organize the study. Genesis 27. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold now, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. And make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me... Hmm. Read that wrong. I'm going to read uh, verse 7 again. <clears throat> Verse 7, bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, look. Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother, and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, 
the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like, the, like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be be those who bless you. Now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac his father that Esau his brother came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed." When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac his father answered and said to him, Behold, Your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me?
So here's Isaac. Um, we, we talked last time about how Isaac is a figure that, again, I think we sort of overlook sometimes, and maybe we're not really uh, appreciative of like we ought to be. Um, Isaac seems to be everything that he ought to be, typically. Um, now he's old, and we see that he's has some favoritism uh, toward his son Esau. But, uh, and so he calls Esau, and it's, you know, he knows that the time is now to ha- to for him to be blessed. But so we do have two people, you know, Isaac and Rebecca, who are showing favoritism toward their sons, and um, we see the problems that come from that. And I think typically that's what we might think of with Isaac and Rebecca, but, you know, generally there are some things that we can consider with these and we're always on walking through the book. We're trying to get as many angles as we can. Uh, not that we're trying to pull in different viewpoints, man's viewpoints, but you know, we have to remember that, that this book is written for a particular reason. And, uh, we, we don't want to pigeonhole and say, you know, just, uh, generalize a particular character. Um, unless that's exactly what the text is telling us. Right. So, uh, you know, what do you think, Brian, about some of these things that are going on? Um, you know, I mean, what do you think about Rebecca? Why do you think she's acting in this way and contriving this, uh, this whole plot? One thing is Genesis 25, 23. Um, it says after the children were struggling in Rebecca's womb and she, Uh, went to inquire of the Lord about that, what was going on. It says the Lord said to her specifically uh, at the end of his promise there that the older shall serve the younger and that this was going to be two nations that were going to come out of her. Um, You know, I don't see between that promise where Rebecca told Isaac about that, you know, so, you know, it could be that Rebecca uh, just kind of kept that to herself, you know, and like, um, almost like, uh, uh, the idea of like, it was kept a mystery, you know, that Isaac was unaware of the promise completely and assumed that just like he got the, uh, blessing from Abraham. Um, you know, uh, Esau was the firstborn. Would you compare it to Mary holding these things in the, in her heart when she's told about Jesus? You know, I think that's a good relation, you know, like she clearly saw that as something very precious, you know, and I think she's, it seems like she's just doing in the moment what she sees can be done to make sure that that promise is fulfilled. And Mm -hmm. Isaac, you know, is just doing what maybe he just knows for himself, what's the best thing to do for him, you know, his son Esau. Uh, So, yeah, I just think that it's just really interesting. Yeah. And of course, we do need to keep in mind that this is not how families should behave, <laughs> right? right? I mean, we we don't take this as an absolute example that okay, yeah, God's okay with this. The point is that God was okay with this at that time. I mean, really, one of the big unlocking things that we find in the Bible, unlocking concepts, is that that God deals with people in different times in different ways. Um, this is covered in Hebrews chapter one. 
This is covered in Acts 17 when Paul says on Mars Hill that, you know, God, these times of, of ignorance winked at these times of ignorance, but now commands all, all men to repent. And so, you know, while we're saying that at this time, Rebecca, and I would agree with you, Brian, it seems like Rebecca is just doing the best, best that she knows how to actually bring about what God has, has told her about that, right. uh, you know, we take that as it is, but of course we don't emulate every aspect of that except, except just, you know, let's apply it in, in those localized ways in the sense that, you know, how does, you know, again, what we're going to look at later on, what does this all mean to us? So, yeah, right. I, I think that's very well said. Yeah. Cause it's, it's like, I was reading not to get sidetracked from the current reading, but I was reading through uh, the end of second Samuel earlier today, you know, where Absalom rose up against David and uh, David sent back one of his close friends to Absalom uh, to basically serve as a spy to lie to Absalom about his loyalty. Um, You know, and the point of that isn't like, Oh, so I guess, I guess lying to gain some kind of advantage is okay or Mm. lying to escape a bad situation is okay. That's, that's, that's actually absolutely not the point. Um, I think the, the greater point is actually the more clearly we understand who God is, the more amazed we ought to be that he uses these events at all. And actually not only does he use these events despite how imperfect they are and how even not only imperfectly the people go through these circumstances, but we, we can understand more clearly what sin is. The fact that God is able to use even sinful actions for his glory is just astonishing, you know? And so the point isn't to follow the example. The point is to see how amazing God is. And I think on top of that point, even beyond that, and and I guess maybe a better way to say it is within that, how God is able to tie these things into his work in Christ. I think that is where we're really meant to go with these things. Um, Like an initial observation, for instance, uh, and this, this kind of relates to kind of relates to themes, but in our first take of this, we kind of struggled with muddying the line between initial observations and themes. Um, But, you know, Rebecca, if she's the only one who knew the promise that God had made, then she was the holder of the mystery. And Jacob's role was to uh, simply obey the one who knew the mystery. And just like Jesus's role was just to obey the one who knew the mystery, the father. And then you've also got uh, Rebecca in verse 13. The one who knew the mystery was willing to take a curse on herself so that the blessing could reach its uh, proper destination, who it was really intended for. And, and pass over the one uh, who of the flesh was qualified, but of the spirit of the word of God was not truly the qualified one. So anyway, that's just to, 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 to I guess, initially make the point where I think we're supposed to be going with texts like this. Like we're not, we're not supposed to say, oh, this is an example of what I'm supposed to do. 
No, it's supposed to magnify God's workmanship and power and ability mm-hmm. and grace and faithfulness. And I think that's the main point. Yeah, you remind me of, you know, the the some people might take a look at, for example, First uh, Samuel 16, where uh, Samuel is being told by God and commanded by God to go and anoint David as king. And he's, you know, Samuel's worried, you know, uh, if Saul hears about it, he's going to kill me. And so God essentially says, well, uh, in that case, <laughs> not in that case, but uh, he basically says, take a take a heifer with you and tell them you've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And, of course, that was a true statement. But, you know, some people may take passages like that and say, well, if there's a greater uh, purpose to be made at the time, then I don't have to tell the whole truth. Well, I'm sorry, but if you don't tell the whole truth about, especially about, you know, our work together as a congregation and things like that, um, you know, when others need to hear about it, then no, that's a lie. That's a lie from by omission. And so we need to be very, very careful about using the Old Testament in that way. Um, you know, I, I think New Testament examples even we have to be very, very careful with. And right. make sure that we're we're using those in wise ways. Well, and I think that's even how God designed his word to purposely be a stumbling block, like his parables. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, I'm sure you've run into this, Stephen, and um, if somebody's listening and they've talk, tried to talk to people about God's word, um, something you may run into that I've run into a lot is people almost become obsessive sometimes about miracles in the Bible and become just extraordinarily determined that we must be able to do miracles in the same way today. Like we need to be able to lay mm-hmm. hands on people and heal them. And because they read the New Testament and they see that they think, wow, there's the power of God, the ability to do miracles. That's that's it. That's what this is all about. And they miss it. Like just an opinion is that the ability to just do a quick miracle is not the power of God. I mean, Genesis chapter one, God did things so much more than just healing a person of a sickness in Genesis chapter one. God did more than that time and time again in the Bible. The greatest aspects of God's glory and power are hidden for the humble to perceive in the transforming power of the cross of Jesus and the resurrection and there's just, there's just so many, that's just one example of, there's just a lot of ways that somebody could read scripture and just go in such, such a wrong direction with things that uh, really defeat the purpose, I think, of, of why so many of these things are written the way they are. So we just, we really need to start uh, with the cornerstone of really understanding the nature of Christ, the work of Christ, the heart of Christ, and how Christ represented the Father and once we can get grounded on that, it just opens up a whole dimension of layers and beauty and wisdom in every aspect of the Bible. Um, and so it's just so important to be a good student of the word, but really to be a good student of the word is to be a good student of Jesus. Right. Amen. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, you know, to, to get sort of back on track with Genesis 27, mm-hmm. you know, when, when we look further here you know after this whole plan is hatched and it's put into into uh progress i mean i i have a question here and and really what we notice here in verse 22 right so jacob comes near 
he's got the food um and he's he's got you know he's prepared in the proper way he's got the skin skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on his neck and uh, so you're supposed to feel like Esau you're supposed to smell like Esau and uh, but in verse 22 Jacob goes near to Isaac and he felt him and said the the voice is Jacob's voice but the hands are the hands of Esau I kind of have a question did did Isaac know that that really was Jacob I mean, I, I don't know, like the reaction later on in verse 33 would imply that, oh, you know, no, there, there's someone else there. Or is Jacob almost being, I mean, not really facetious. I don't think he would be facetious about that, but I don't know. Like who, who in this situation would assume that, well, you sound like Jacob, but you must be Esau because everything else works out. I can hear some gears turning over in your corner. Man, the gears are turning. Okay, so, well, let yeah, go ahead. Think about it. Like, wow. Oh man. In our just for the listener, in take one, I didn't notice this before, but Stephen, think about how close they got to each other. Mm-hmm. Like Jacob. Like he went up and kissed his father. His father smelt him, which is kind of creepy, but you know, he wanted to make sure it was Esau. <laughs> like, <laughs> so like they, they, they got so close to each other and that was because he was like in every way trying to ensure that this was truly Esau because there was suspicion. Think about that with Jesus. Like how much of Jesus's humanity do we see, was he fully human? Did he really come completely in the form of flesh? It's the cross. The cross shows us Jesus embraced full humanity. And mm. it's not until that was recognized fully. And like Romans 8 said, he took the form of sinful flesh. It's, it's not until he completely took that form and he was crucified and he was made more into the son of man than any of us could ever become. That's when the blessing could be transferred. Wow. It's almost the opposite of what Jacob is doing here, right? Because Mm. Jesus Mm. was never trying to deceive. Right. Um, In every case of people demanding proof for, you know, um, I mean, I always bring up the issue of Nathaniel in John chapter one, get what good can come out of Nazareth. Well, what's Jesus's reaction to that? Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there's no guile. Um, what's his response to Thomas later on that same gospel? You know what? If, if you have to touch me and see me here, then, then so be it. Here I am. Ah, wow. You know, and, and, Mm -hmm. and so it's almost like the opposite of what Jacob's doing here. And, and, and if we put ourselves, um, sort of into what we're, I know that maybe this would make more sense. Maybe this would make more impact in the, in the theme section, but, Maybe if we put ourselves uh, in the, in the uh, feet of Isaac here and try to understand how blind we are really sometimes, maybe maybe something could could uh, maybe we'll learn something there. So uh, so we see that Isaac blesses Jacob, and you know the the pleasantness of this blessing is really impressive to me. Um, 
The smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. You know, that's really speaking well of him. And then the, what God's going to give him of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine, people serving him, nations bowing down to him. All of this really would come true uh, in many ways in Jacob's life. But of course, there are some other things we want to talk about in the next section that will go into that a little bit more. But uh, And then we have uh, the sense that Esau, he's lost out on this blessing. He's exceedingly bitter about it. Um, he, he's sad about it. And, and really, who wouldn't be in his situation? But if we handle it in context, in the context of this chapter, in the context of Genesis, we'll know that he essentially brought this on himself. And even the blessing that he gets from Jacob, uh, excuse me, the blessing he gets from, from Isaac, essentially it is almost like the leftovers. Your dwelling should be in, of the fatness of the earth, of the dew of the heaven from above, that's great. But by the sword you shall live. You shall serve your brother, and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So it's not terrible, but it's not great either. It's not what he could have had. Right, right. It's it's like Jacob, I, it seems like as the story goes on, had a sense of guilt, like how blessed he gets, and yet, I mean, what did he do? He deceived his dad. You know, and like, that's, that's it. Like, what did he do? You know, because when he, when he meets, like when he's about to meet Esau a little bit later, you know, he tells God, I'm not worthy of the least of the mercies that you've shown your servant. Uh, and I think a lot of that is because God used this, not just to like, God's goal wasn't just to do this. It was to do it in the way to create a certain heart within Jacob and I think to create a certain heart within Esau. And it's extraordinary kind of on that note, how world changing these events were, you know, how God organized this to change the hearts of both of these men, how God used this to create the nation that eventually became the nation that still exists today, which is the kingdom of heaven and Christians who uh, since the time of Christ have come from the gospel, you know, that the seed of that is here, you know, and just mm-hmm. how intimate and close these events are and how common and strange the event seems. And yet this is what God uses to change history forever. And that's just, to me, it's amazing how much God accomplished in such simple looking events. Yeah, very well said. And, and, and it all, works out in this way without any miraculous intervention from God. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, He lets these things unfold. Um, So, yeah. And then of course this, uh, this last little bit of a story where Jacob is escaping, Jacob is leaving. And uh, I think one of the things we'll see in chapter eight is essentially the beginning of this uh, Jacob seeking out and courting Rachel eventually. And that story, which was so short and sweet in Isaac's uh, uh, experience, it would seem, right? Uh, everything seemed to go extremely well for Isaac. Well, things aren't going to go so well for Jacob. And Jacob's going to be uh, fighting 
uh, you know, really fighting against his, his uncle, uh, for multiple reasons and, and, and wrestling that, that idea of wrestling, I think is one of the major things we're going to see in Jacob's life. Right. And, uh, the fact that, you know, he's wrestling against what? Well, like you said, Brian, you know, if, if I was, if I were someone who had just tricked his way into receiving all these promises, it helps us understand that God's grace toward Jacob was great. And right. I want to revisit that in the next section and kind of expand on that if we can. Yeah, it's kind of interesting uh, just to make one comment on that before we move on is it's just interesting that I don't think I've ever noticed before so much, uh, except in our doing this podcast reading, how every every next generation in Genesis, as far as like from Abraham, rediscovers the grace of the covenant for themselves in a hmm. personal way. So we talked about how God helped Isaac to like relive the events of his father and he got to then make it personal, you know? So it's kind of like what we talked about before, like God didn't just want to say, okay, well, you're the son of Abraham. So you just kind of, you get it, you know? No, God mm-hmm. wanted it to be real to Isaac. And I think that's like Jacob, God was making this covenant real. He was like shaping Isaac's or Jacob's understanding of what this meant for him. And like you were saying, the wrestling and the events of his life that was going to mold his understanding of the nature of his, of this covenant. And I think all the way into the end of the narrative, when eventually spoiler alert, he gets to Joseph in Egypt. I think there's something that clicks there, you know? So yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about um, the fact that Rebecca remembered the promise, right? And um, Brian, you kind of said something that I thought was really well well said uh, in our first take of this recording, uh, was that Jacob is following the one who knows the mystery. And I think that's a really good point in that you know, Jacob's not the one to formulate this plan. Right. Yes. And, and, and we need to notice that and appreciate it. You you got anything on that? Yes. So yeah, I think that's, that's definitely something that, you know, has a greater context in what we see happen with Jesus. Uh, first Corinthians chapter two. I mean, there's, there's a few places in the new Testament, you know, that talk about the nature of God having kind of hidden in himself, his plan to not just send Jesus, but the effect that Jesus would have on the world after his uh, ascension back into heaven. But uh, in verse six and seven of first Corinthians chapter two, it says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery And here's really the key thing, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages for our glory, 
which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would have not, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. And so Jesus, all he had to do was follow the will of the one who knew the mystery. It doesn't say Jesus was the one who had the mystery hidden. It's, it's God, the father who had the mystery hidden in himself. So Jesus's role was simply follow the lead of the father. And that's what we see in the gospel of John, Jesus constantly reaffirming that he was only acting on the will of the father. He was only speaking by the words of the father and only living by the example of the father. And isn't that what we see in Jacob here? That Mm -hmm. Jacob's role was just to obey. All Jacob had to do was follow the leading of the one who knew the mystery, which was Rachel. But the purpose of that was again, and I think this is so important, so that the glory of the blessing could go to the one that God had promised. Mm -hmm. And nobody else knew who God had really promised the blessing to go to. And I think the same thing as kind of a greater theme, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Paul is making the case that it was never truly Israel of the flesh who were the promised people of God. It was always those who were the people of faith who were the true people of God. And Jesus died and followed the mystery of the Father so that the blessing could be transferred to its rightful inheritor, and that is those of faith. Absolutely. Very well said. And and the thing is, again, someone can make the argument, well, you know, you're supposed to honor your father and mother, but if your father or mother tells you to do something that's wrong, then you need to tell them no, right? <laughs> I mean, typically, that's what we say, right? Mm-hmm. But but if that's what we're focusing on in this passage, we're not getting it. Right. We're not, you know, there, there's something. And I, don't, I don't say that because some people are just, you know, I'm by no means saying that some people are just more able to get it than others. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying if we lock in everything, and that's, again, that's what this section is about. We want to try to, to pull everything together and say, what's the bigger picture going on here? Well, the bigger picture is that God intends for Jacob to carry on and and to be the inheritor of the promises of Abraham. Right. And, uh, and you know, but the thing is, too, if it had worked out in a different way, if Esau had held on to his birthright, and if Esau had been, you know, better in his behavior, I think God would have gone through Esau. I mean, you know. Uh, it's essentially like whatever they had chosen, I think God would have been, would have gone with. Um, but at the same time, he's still sovereign in the sense that the line is continued. The, the, the family, the path of this messianic prophecy is continued. Right. So we can appreciate that. That's really the core of it. Isaac is blind essentially. Right. And, uh, that kind of, got me to thinking about what Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 9 mm-hmm. and verse 41. Uh, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting. interesting thing about this here, Isaac is not um, trying to say that he's 100% sure about this. But, you know, he has a connection. He has a relationship with God, obviously. And he he utters this blessing and I think there's a there's there must be a sense of faith here, uh, where Isaac is is essentially he's blessing the person that you know everything seems to point that this is who I ought to bless, so I'm going to bless them. 
And I don't think that when he found out that it was actually Jacob instead of Esau that he had blessed, I don't think he had to go back and repent to God or, you know, beg forgiveness or anything like that. Um, I think God would have understood you're blind and you understand that you're blind. <laughs> and I think that's part that one of the keys that we can tie in here is that all throughout the Bible, you know, God's faithful are of a contrite heart. They're not prideful in saying, oh, I've, I've got all this figured out. I've got this and that and that. It's actually a very humble attitude that the kingdom disciple has, the kingdom citizen has, that, you know, I don't have this all figured out. And you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm poor. I'm blind. Um, and and you, you think about the church of Laodicea in Revelation. Um, you know, what was their problem? Their problem wasn't necessarily that they were poor and naked and blind and miserable, right? It was that they didn't know those things. And rather, they were puffed up. They were prideful in spite of that. Same thing that Jesus is pointing out to the Pharisees. So we see God's people all throughout time having this understanding that, yes, I know that I'm blind. I don't have it all figured out. But I'm going to do the best I can with what I have at this particular time. Because I want to be faithful to God. Romans eleven twenty nine. Paul said, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, Isaac understood Yeah. You said that Isaac didn't go back and repent and mm-hmm. that got my gears turning. Like, you know, that is interesting that Isaac didn't tell Esau. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's ask God if we can make this right. You know, this, this turned out wrong. Like, no, he was like, well, Whoa, this is no going back now. Like that's, that's, that's how it's going to be. You know, so it's mm-hmm. interesting that he understood that. Yeah. It's almost like he understands that, you know, if this happened this way, then it must be because God wants to let it happen this way. Yeah, and that's fascinating. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Uh, may, maybe I'm maybe I'm assuming a bit too much there. But you know, just a note too about Esau's bitterness in the in the face of this. I think there is, you know, the, the, just as oh 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 Stephen, one real quick, yeah, one yeah, one more thing actually about Isaac being blind. Uh, I was also thinking while you were talking about that. Um, and this is going to make me sound really stupid, but that's totally okay. Um, uh, this, this is going to sound like, wow, just such a simple thing. Everybody's probably thought about this already, but I'm so used to this story that I literally have never thought before. If Isaac could see this would have been impossible. Mm. And if Isaac Mm -hmm. could see Jacob would not have been able to be blessed. So his being blind was actually necessary for the blessing to actually not go to Esau. And so his being blind was actually like a necessary component of this happening the way it needed to. And if he could see, it wouldn't have been able to happen this way. And I've just, for some reason, I've just never even thought about that. Well, that ties back in perfectly again with John chapter nine, because at the start of that chapter, right. You know, the disciples are asking Jesus, you know, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Right. right and Jesus right, says, neither. Right. He was made blind for, for the glory of God, so that God's glory would be manifested in him, in, in the healing of his sight. So, well, yeah. yeah. And it's it's like the, the verse you quoted a little bit earlier, too, where it's like, us being blind is a necessary component. Like, I, I've just, I've personally noticed in John that it seems like that's a theme that, Jesus needed everybody to get to the place, no matter how educated they were with the law or God's word, everybody had to get to the same place 
in the face of Jesus admitting complete and total ignorance. Uh, Nicodemus, as educated as he was, he had to get to the place of, of saying, you know what, I actually don't know anything. John chapter 8 with the Pharisees, John chapter 5 with the Pharisees, Jesus was trying to convince them, you don't know anything. And because they wanted to feel like they really knew a lot about God and a lot about the law, uh, it was impossible to reach them. So that is that is really interesting. So that, that fades into the conversation about Esau, though, mm-hmm. because... We discussed, uh, the first time we tried to record this, we discussed about, you know, again, we're trying to put our, you know, put our, put ourselves in these positions of these people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think we connected the idea that, you know, here's Isaac, he's brought up and he's told all his life by Abraham, that, hey, you're going to inherit these promises that God prom- you know, promised to me. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to have this land. There's all, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And you would think that Isaac would bring up Esau in that same way, because again, the typical thing, the older is going to receive the greatest blessing. Right. And so you have to wonder if maybe that worked out in Esau in a very prideful way, maybe not outwardly manifested pride, but just the sense that, you know, uh, my father's told me all this time that I'm going to receive all these promises. Oh man! That I'm part of this inheritance, man. Oh, and then, man. then you know, it, it would seem that maybe that led to almost a lax attitude wow. in his mindset. Stephen, you know? that is just like the Jewish people in Jesus' day. Hmm. Hmm. Absolutely. They they had been given this rulership, this place of honor among God's people and they were supposed to be shepherding, but Jesus had compassion for the multitudes as if they were sheep without a shepherd because they didn't really truly have shepherds. They had, they had false shepherds, shepherds that were not teaching them uh, the truth about everything. And uh, yeah, I think and just in general um, fleshly Israel, as you might say, we say fleshly Israel in, in contrast to spiritual Israel uh, the the remnant of Israel, even at that time, that embraced Jesus, and so I, I think that's spot on. Um, and there's a warning, there's an ongoing warning for God's people against this in Hebrews 12 and verse 14: Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And so we know, and Brian and I have talked about this a number of times, that, that bitterness is one of the greatest poisons that can seep into a Christian. Right. And and that bitterness will just turn us uh I mean it's been said by a mutual friend of ours in multiple sermons that you know it literally will cause you to lose your mind. And, it'll make and you lose your, your mind. It's your your grip on reality essentially uh will will slip out and so God is continually trying to encourage us to remember reality. I don't know if Esau thought that you know, maybe maybe that little moment with Jacob with the with the lentils. You know, maybe he thought, 
well, th- that's ridiculous. I mean, just because I ate this stew and just because I said that I sold it to him, I mean, you know, uh, that that's not going to affect anything. And it seems to be that's his mindset. He's, you know, he's going to receive this blessing. But the reality is that, that uh, you know, the New Testament tells us that it's not Jacob tricking him that robbed him of that, but it was own it was his own decision to give it up that took that away from him. It's almost like he should have had the sense of desperation when he lost it here the whole time. You know, like Philippians 2.12 tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You know, and I wonder if that's kind of the same idea as like if we just assume, well, I was baptized. You know, I guess I'm just kind of waiting around now until I go to heaven. It's like, well, I guess you're just not going to get there then, you know. And wow, is it easy to be poisoned by that way of thinking personally? I can really tell you I struggle with that, you know, and cultivating that sense of constant desperation, you know, uh, man, you just, you see, and isn't that what we see? Like you mentioned earlier, Jacob wrestling. And I wonder if that's what you see with Jacob is God cultivated that constant sense of desperation through Jacob's life, like that pressure and that struggle really defined Jacob. And I think that's why God could rename him Israel, one who strives with man and God and prevails. Yeah, that's an awesome point. And that grace toward Jacob is continually manifested. Right, man. Um, I've got down here in our our notes, uh, Malachi 1, 2, and 3. I've loved you, says the Lord. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob have I loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Now I want to point out too that, that when Malachi is writing that, that's not about, I don't believe that's about Esau and Jacob as individuals. I think you could say that in some way, but generally Esau lived out his life in peace with his brother. And you know, again, spoiler alert, they make up later on. And it seems from the scriptures that they're on good terms up until Esau's life ends and Jacob's life ends. And so, but ultimately what we're talking about is the nation that Esau birthed and the nation of Edom that God laid judgment down upon. Uh, We can see all about that in the book of Obadiah right? uh, in specifics. That's such a good point because the thing about when that was written in Malachi one verse two and three, God always accepted people who would fully convert into his nation. Think about Rahab, think about Ruth, Moabitess, uh, the Gibeonites, you know? So anyway, God had told the nation of Esau, Edom before he destroyed them, that they were done. And he told them he was going to wipe them off the face of the earth and they were never going to recover. And, they were very close to the nation of Israel. So they knew who Israel, who Israel was. They knew who their brother was and they could easily, anyone within that nation, just like Rahab and Jericho could have said, you know what? This nation is doomed. God has said, we're going to all be destroyed for what we did against our brother. I need to abandon my nation and go into Israel, you know? So the option was always there and God's wrath was never, at the expense of the option for repentance. Just like Jericho, 
uh, Rahab, what she did, anyone could have done that. I mean, that wasn't something that only Rahab could do. I mean, anybody could have repented like right. Rahab, but she's just the only one who did it, you know? So, so anyway, that just some context with Malachi, you know, like God's love for Israel was so evident that was meant to draw people away from other nations that were going to receive his wrath. And especially when people could see that he restored Israel from their destruction, you know, that just should have been such a beacon of light and hope to all the nations around them. And and those who have always stood as God's people have always stood in his grace. Right. Yeah. Um, always. It's never been a situation where, okay, I'm doing this and so God owes me that. Right, um, right. And if we if our mind is there, then we're not in the right place. Um and and I think what you said about Jacob too is is spot on in the sense that, you know, what is Jacob's life but a life of grace? Um, mm. You know, and again, we're seeing some early points of Jacob, and I've mentioned this in the show before, I believe. But you look toward the end of the the book of Genesis, and you see Jacob speaking to the Pharaoh, right, uh, in Egypt, mm. and uh, I just I really appreciate um, the way that he says this in uh, in. Chapter 47 and verse 9, Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. And uh, I, that, that shows such humility, yeah. but also you get this undercurrent of like, you know, I, I've, I've worked through a lot of hard things. My life has been a hard life. But, you know, all through that, I think there's a different Jacob there than what we see initially. Right. Um, right. Great point. I guess like even just on that note of what you just said, it just seems like the idea of God converting people becomes the clearer and clearer theme that God is working towards through Genesis. And it's almost like that's the mystery of the covenant. Like why has God made a covenant? Why did God make the world? Well, I think Genesis shows the mystery. It's people being converted, hearts being converted because of his grace. And it's like, wow, it's just amazing. Like, so I'm going to say something that I'm going to try to say concisely, but in my current Old Testament reading outside of this podcast, I've just been so amazed how old in the Old Testament, God has so flawlessly in his providence worked out events that directly tie to every conviction that is created through Christ. So you read the Old Testament and hidden within these stories, it's not just that there are just general generic lessons of some kind or random lessons. The lessons actually specifically strengthen the convictions of Christ in every way, all the convictions. And I just think that's so amazing that you read Genesis and what you find is, the convictions that were established through the gospel are actually being strengthened through these events. And wow, what a masterpiece, you know, it just, it's just continuously amazing. No, I agree completely. And and you see, again, uh, I do think the longer we go, of course, the more, the more uh, threads we see coming together. I know that's exactly wonderful. Yeah. Amen.
Well, let's move into application and want to consider some basic things that we want to pull from our reading today and the things that we've, uh, I guess you could say cobbled together, but hopefully it's been, it's been useful. (laughs) Um, uh, you know, I wonder if one of the main things that we see again, and we've touched on this already that, you know, the individual actions of this chapter are not recommended, right? I don't recommend that someone lies to anybody, (laughs) but much less their parents. But the spirit and the purpose that was accomplished here need to be recognized, and we need to learn the lesson that's here. That, you know, ultimately, the way that God, you know, who God chooses to bless, that's the one that's going to be blessed, right? And we could apply that multiple ways, but the wonderful thing about that, too, is that the blessings that Jacob inherited are the blessings that everyone can inherit right now. Jesus has made it such that, that all peoples can come to him. And, uh, you know, the invitation is toward all and to everybody to understand who the son is and through the son, understand who the father is. And once we embrace that and we become a kingdom citizen through, uh, the process of salvation, then we receive all those uh, same uh, promises that were made to Abraham. So it's not about having to trick someone to get this. All the work has been done. It's laid out. All we have to do is receive it. That being said, we understand too that from this that that uh, you know even the spe- when we say the specific actions are not good, um, we can appreciate. Jacob's willingness to follow and to do here. Even though he didn't have the whole picture, even though Isaac didn't have the whole picture, he did what they they both seemed to do the best that they could with what they had at the time. Yeah. You know what? I think on that, there might be an application in this that we can trust God's faithfulness to his promises, even at times when by appearance, it doesn't seem like our circumstance should work out that way. Um, like Stephen, uh, I'll, I'll leave him unnamed, but there's a brother who uh, uh, I've talked to Stephen about who this past Sunday, um, I mean, he, he sinned and uh, uh, in a way that was extremely concerning, but that didn't stop God's faithfulness. You know, this, this brother repented. Uh, and we got together the next day and, uh, he didn't just repent, but God has strengthened him through his repentance to have more wisdom, more, more strength in his faith. And, you know, I just, I think about that, that sometimes God's faithfulness works in through circumstances that aren't good. Uh, but, but God is able to work out his promises in surprising ways, um, and so we can just, we can always have confidence that God is able to act in accordance with his promises. He's able to fulfill his promises. And that should give us comfort and encouragement uh, that, you know, even on a common day, a day when maybe things don't seem very eventful, or maybe it seems like I just wasn't able to do a lot of spiritually engaging things, like maybe other days where there were just more opportunities. Uh, that doesn't invalidate God's faithfulness. 
Um, and so we just we really need to see just how powerful God's grace is and how faithful God is toward his promises and just really see these things and just take it so personally to see that God is very active and very at work in the lives of his people. He's not distant. He's not disengaged. He's, he's actually more engaged than we can possibly realize. And that, that should be energizing and motivating. One of the most common questions I think that we tend to get as Christians um, sometimes is, well, what's the sin against the Holy Spirit? And we're not really, I'm not going to go into that. That's really a whole other conversation. But there's there's a verse in Mark chapter 3 that I really try to pull out that goes right before the verse about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, where Jesus says in Mark 3 and verse 28, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. I just, you know, sometimes I just want to read that verse and stop right there because, <laughs> you, know? you know, that within itself is so mind blowing wow. Yeah, that wow. it doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't mm. matter how horrible I've been Wow, that my God still loves me and wow. he still wants me to be a part of his kingdom and that he will do whatever is necessary to make that possible. Wow. That is really powerful. Again, we could talk about the sin against the Holy Spirit. That's a mindset, just kind of short blip answer there. It's not just this random sin that we could randomly commit. It's a mindset that we enter into. It's a whole other conversation. If you want to know more, email us. We'd be well, happy to talk more about that. But I mean, on that note, what you said is right, though. Like I focus so much on the second part of that verse with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that I'm guilty of the very thing you said. Like I don't pay attention to how amazing it is. When he says all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter, like, wow. I mean, how amazing should that be? I just, I really appreciate you pointing that out. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's really comforting to me to know yeah. that there's nothing that I could ever do that would be so wicked that God says, you know what? I'm done with you forever. Right. You know, and, and it's really up to me. And that's kind of, that kind of gets into that conversation again, where if I'm calling what the Holy Spirit has done evil or wrong. Like for example, when I call the Bible an evil book that's caused wars and things like that, which by the way, a book can't cause wars. People cause wars. Okay. But you know, but, but that's a mindset that you enter into. And if that's what I believe about the Bible, am I ever going to read the Bible uh, for that purpose and, and really truly repent? No. And so when I'm wrapped up in that mindset, there's no way that I can be forgiven. But if I if I understand that you know what, you know, just like Jacob, I don't have anything to bring to the table here. And yet God in his grace, he's he's reaching out his hand toward me and saying, "Listen, you know, I can give you all these things. You just have to receive it." Um and and it's the sense of of doing what is required to receive it, of course, but that's, an, again, another conversation. But as we follow the path of Jacob in the next, uh, you know, few chapters of this book until we get to Joseph, you know, Joseph's Ark is going to take over really the end, the, the last section of Genesis. Um, you know, keep looking for the wrestling of Jacob and keep looking for those those things because the more we understand that, the more we can understand that, you know, 
even if I don't have it all together, that's okay. Um, I, I have to lean on God and lean on his grace and to understand that he calls for me to walk with him. And, and just the fact that we've been invited in that way should really uh, encourage us to know that, that life is never so terrible that we can't go and walk with the Savior. Um, again, you know, uh, we, we can't be like Esau, uh, who, who ended up you know, in bitterness toward this for a time. Now it would seem down the line that maybe Esau made it right, uh, you know. But I'll tell you one person that didn't make it right, and and when we see in the Gospels Judas betraying the Messiah for money, and he goes out afterwards, he's he's terribly guilty about it, feels terribly guilty about it, and he goes out and he hangs himself. How sad is that? Especially since. He could. It could have been better. It could have been different. He could have repented of that. Right. How do I know that? Because Jesus says every sin, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. So Judas could have been forgiven for betraying the Messiah, but he chose to go out what I would call the coward's way. And I can't imagine, and maybe this is, uh, you know, maybe this is a bit too much to go into here, but I can't imagine someone taking their own life, the life that's been given to them by God. I can't imagine them taking their own life and being looked at in a favorable way by God. I just can't. Maybe someone out there can help me see something a little bit more about that, but let's not be bitter like Esau. I think the warning in Hebrews 12 is just as true today as in the first century when it was written. We don't need to be someone who has this root of bitterness that is springing up and and allows themselves to be defiled. We need to pursue peace with all people and pursue holiness. We're not going to see God without those things. So don't let bitterness take you down. Don't let bitterness uh, claim you. And, you know, Brian, we've, we've even seen, I mean, not necessarily people we've been closely associated with, but we've seen examples, you know, even when the past, you know, five or ten, five years or so, where we see brethren taken away uh, more or less by by cause of bitterness. Oh, yeah, absolutely, all the time. Yeah, I would say that that is the primary reason I see people fall away is uh, is bitterness, bitterness and, and a love for the world. You know, and I think that like you were saying, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, I think that's very relevant to this because, you know, Hebrews 12 makes the point that Esau put himself into a certain frame of mind. And once he got into that mind, it's like there was no going back. And to the mm. Hebrews, that was a warning, you know, is to value, uh, to value what God has given and to not, well, not even to not enter into the contrary mind of not valuing what God has done, but even beyond that, being terrified of not valuing the greatness of salvation. I mean, that's like one of the major points of Hebrews is understanding the value of what God has done in Jesus and so we just have to be really careful because when I'm trying to talk to people about the gospel, I, I mean, wow, I can say things as just amazingly as I can possibly think to say them about what God has offered to the gospel. And then someone will just look at me with a blank stare and just not care at all. And it's because mm-hmm. the mentalities we invest ourselves in are so powerful. Think about Pharaoh. The guy saw plagues destroy his nation. His firstborn was killed. 
not enough. He had entered into that frame of mind. Wow, we have to be so careful about what kind of mentality we're engaging in and cultivating. And our action or inaction will dictate and strengthen whatever mentality we're choosing to dwell in. And so we need to act on the basis of faith and choose to take action out of a sincere heart and out of a true value of what God has done. Um, because if, if we strengthen a hardened heart, we, we do run the danger of, of, of willfully putting ourselves in a position to face God in judgment and be cast away into hell for an eternity uh, because we chose to be like Esau when it's right here. I mean, we have a fully assembled Bible. God has made just infinite sacrifice. Wow. That's just the heart and the mind are powerful. So we just, we need to take warning. That's very well said. It comes to mind how often there are indeed situations where people begin to fall into sin and they begin to look at it as, you know, something that's good, something that, that, you know, maybe they have a freedom that they didn't have before. Right. Yes. And they, then they look at others who, who deeply care for them, who deeply love them. And they look at them as if they're their worst enemies. And, uh, and that, that's what that mindset gets you to. Right. And, uh, you know, you know, I don't mean to, to kind of wind down the end of the, of the program on sort of a dark note, but you know, the warning of Esau is, is the warning of scripture. Um, you know, understand what grace is. Don't, don't be wrapped up in the things of this world. Um, understand that you have a God who loves you and that never wants to do wrong to you. And, uh, you know, if, if that's, if we learn that lesson, then we're part of this great inheritance. We're part of this great promise that we see continuing to develop in the book of Genesis and on through scripture. Actually, Stephen, uh, to, I, to kind of on that note, turn it into positive, so Rebecca was willing to take a curse on herself so that Isaac or so that Jacob could be blessed by Isaac. And mm. it shows the value that she placed in him being blessed, like God had said. Um, Romans 9, 1 through 5, uh, Paul said, I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom according to the flesh Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. And so Paul saw God's promises and the inheritance of those promises as so utterly precious and valuable and the grace so unfathomable and glorious. He was truthfully saying that he would actually put himself into hell forever if that meant that Israelites could gain heaven by doing so. And so the more I understand the value of God's promise, the more desperate I'll be to give it to others, not just gain it myself, but give it to others and that's what God has done for us. God took a curse on himself. That's how valuable we are to God. That's how desperately he wants to give 
the birthright to people who don't even deserve it and have no right to it in the first place. And so God's just imploring us and groveling and begging with us, who is so high and mighty and glorious, he's degraded himself on a cross to beg us to accept the reality that we're, we are lost without him. But in him, there are unfathomable promises waiting for those who accept the, the, the offer that God is making through Jesus. And so uh, there's both the goodness and the severity of God that we need to be mindful of. And not just God's desire, but we ourselves who know the promise, we need to be more passionate about passing that blessing on to others as well. That's extremely well said. You know, Brian, if, if we, if we attain and hold on to that mindset, it would seem that, you know, just looking at it from the other side, it would seem that it would help us to think more about those who have fallen away, not from Mm -hmm. a standpoint of like, why can't that be more like me or us, but rather from a prayerful standpoint of God, if it's your will, please continue to give them time. Right. Yeah. You know, or, or please continue to be patient with them. Um, I, I think that's a good thing, but at the same time we can rightfully and honestly pray, father, let the wicked be punished. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so, I mean, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy there, but, but, but I appreciate that so much. Well, we're so thankful for you taking the time to listen today. We hope yes. that it's been useful for you and uh, grateful for for, uh, for uh, those who are listening. And uh, we'll try to be maybe a little bit more regular <laughs> with this. And again, our apologies for that. But we hope you understand that you know our, our local work comes first. And I hope that doesn't sound like a, a disrespect or anything toward those who listen to this podcast. But... I would I would hope that that you would understand and I, I trust that you do. Bryant, thank you so much for being a part of this as always. Yeah, absolutely. It's so so encouraging. Well, next time, Lord willing, we'll be going to Genesis chapter twenty eight. Study well, be lights to God's glory. The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.